can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, that's the text that will be in this morning as we make our way through this great book. And we'll be looking at verses 3 through 6a this morning, 3 through the first half of verse 6. And um, this text this morning is really going to build upon what we established last week as the theme of the book, as we established the way of the background and the theme of this book, which is blessed in Christ. This week we'll build upon that particular theme because that's the theme of this book. Once again, upon the background and the setting and also the theme or the teaching of this book, it's building on that. So if you weren't here, remember to go back and listen so that you can have that background. But I'm going to begin reading in verse 3 of chapter 1, and we'll make our way to verse 6, the beginning of verse 6. So let's read, follow along as I do, 3 through 6a. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. There is so much packed into that little section of scripture that we could spend a long time on it. And I debated even last night, I was ready to just change everything because we could just go so slowly on each one of these aspects in this text. The goodness of God, the adoption of believers, the election of believers, the glory of God, the grace of God, the praise to God. I mean, we could take each one of these doctrines that are in this small section and we could spend week after week after week upon them. And I would just have part one, part two, part three. Uh, We would maybe be at part 25 before we were able to move on. But in the sense of the flow of this book, I'm going to move us through this section today, if we can, because I don't want to necessarily miss the forest through the trees, because what Paul is doing here is helping believers realize how blessed they are by teaching these doctrines. And so we can come back and spend time on these individual doctrines, but I want you to see what Paul is mainly doing here. The thrust of his message is for you, believer, to realize who you are, what has happened to you, your great new identity, and the incredible resources that you have because of what God has done for you in Christ. And so this is the great picture. This is a big picture. And so this is what we see. This is the great blessing of salvation for believers that believers have received. And particularly here in this part of this section, it's magnified by the fact that God has planned 
initiated, established, and executed your salvation from eternity past. From eternity past. So I've entitled this message, Blessings Established in Eternity Past. The theme of this book is how you, believer, are blessed in Christ. And these blessings were secured in eternity past, and this magnifies the blessings that you have received. You see, Paul here is not just giving theology. He is establishing doxology. He's not just making points. He's establishing praise. You have to understand, he's not debating here. What he's saying is presupposed to be true. He's now describing. He's describing with no other thought to any other response about this teaching than praise for God. You see, this is rejoicing and thanksgiving from the believer for what God has done. God's people have now received this eternal life that God had planned for you and saw through from the beginning of time. The doctrine of election should cause you to say, thank you, God, for choosing me. Not produce a debate. It's presupposed to be true. You see, oftentimes, and this is not polemical, this section, but I think it can teach us there are some in Christianity who use their theology for a cover of their lack of doxology. Knowledge of information becomes a cover for lack of godliness or lack of love for Christ or inner transformation because there can be a leg to stand on, right? Someone can hang theologically by learning enough because they know they can't hang doxologically in their heart and their love for God and the rejoicing of who he is. And so you can state a doctrine without the word of God dwelling richly in your heart, can't you? But Paul here knows nothing of the sort. He doesn't know that reality. Instead, he is giving this rich, deep, theological truth regarding the doctrine of salvation, specifically election, and he is bursting at the seams with praise and thankfulness for what God has done. And that's how you should be. You should realize that God chose you if you are in Christ from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, and he has executed on your behalf. You should be amazed in, in, in full enjoyment, thankful, confident, strong, and so secure in your worth because of who you are and what God has done for you. When you were just walking on your own with no idea of reality in terms of spiritual truth, God planned and executed and intervened in your life. I mean, if you struggle with your past in terms of your worth or your present in terms of your worth, struggle no more. He was doing this work for you without you ever realizing it. Could you even deny that you have worth when God executed this great saving work on your behalf? There's no denying it. It's undeniable that you have been 
chosen in a great way by the God of the universe and have great worth because of his choosing of you. This reality for believers should become a great area of thankfulness and confidence. And so he begins with how this great salvific work has been destined for believers, all of his church before time. And this is you. You have been given everything in Christ because God planned it before you even existed. And so before the cosmos was made, the theme of the Christian life should be this. Your theme verse, right? The banner of your life should be this. I am blessed in Christ. I am so blessed in Christ that I now stand in relation with the God of the universe because God planned it. And so Paul declares this great blessing for believers. And as he proclaims it in general, I'm just dividing these verses into three points here. Verse three, the master. Verses four through five, A, the method. And verse five through six, A, the motive. The master, the method, the motive. And I'm gonna walk you through these verses so we see this reality. And so in this, you could say, if I were to look at the blessings of God on my life, on the life of a believer, you could say this section answers the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how. And we'll cover each one of those within it, you'll see. But let's start with these headings first. We'll start with the master. It's the who. Verse three, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now listen, before we walk through each of these aspects, I need you to understand that this whole section is really introduced by this verse. Verse three really introduces all of three through 14. It's so I was debating, as I said last night, I could just, let's just take verse three and then we'll cover the rest, four through 6a and following. And so three really is the intro to all of it. It's the blesser, the blessing, and the blessed through this great act of election, redemption, and inheritance, right? So this is the kind of the intro verse, but we have to connect it to something because I want you to see substance. And so I've connected it to this first aspect of election, but this is the intro to all of it, really. And how do we know that? Well, let me just tell you that three through 14 in the Greek is one long sentence. Verses three through 14 is one long sentence, no period. Some of you write like that. And it's been rightly described, 3 through 14, as God's master plan for the church or, or the master plan of salvation or the eternal purpose for the church because this is corporate. It talks about us. It's not individualistic. And it's what God has done for his church, what he planned to do, what he executed, and what he has planned for. It's God's great plan of redemption for his people. That's the picture here. And it was pre-written, this is the pre-written reality for every believer who has been, will be saved, right? And section, the section, verses 3 through 14, it can really be divided in either of two ways, okay? If you take all of this one long sentence, 3 through 14, you can really divide it in, in two ways. There's two ways to really look at it here. You can divide it in terms of time, or you can divide it in terms of the members of the Trinity, which is genius, and so if we were to do this by time, you have past election, the blessing for believers established in the past, four through six A, 
You have then the present, this redemption and how it's been revealed to us, come to us, and God has executed this plan of salvation or the future, the future inheritance in 12 through 14. So you can divide this whole group of blessings that the believers have received in salvation in terms of time, past, present, future, right? Or you can have roughly the same divisions and you can divide them by the roles and the persons of the Trinity. It's the Father's work in verses four through, or three through six. It's the Son's work in verses seven through 12. And it's the Holy Spirit's work in 13 through 14. And so you could say that the selection was done by the Father, the sacrifice was done by the Son, and the seal was done by who? Spirit. And, and so this one sentence really covers the whole scope of salvation for believers, it, from conception to cons consummation. And, and really, the focus is on the believer's blessing, who you have become in Christ, what you have now, what God has done for you, the purpose, the result of God's work in each time period, in each member of the Trinity's work. And so it's clear you can see the separation of each one of these elements by, a stand, uh, by each stanza be repeat, being uh, finished and repeat, uh, with the same repeated phrase. So you got each one of these sections, right? Past, present, future, father, son, spirit. And they're all separated by this one phrase. Each stanza is. What is it? Verse six. Look at it. To the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12 to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Each one of those sections is separated. Each stanza is separated by the same repeated phrase, meaning this, all the blessings that you have received in Christ, every work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, every aspect of the past, the present, the future salvation that you have received is a result that should be found in thanksgiving and praise to God who has done it all. This is amazing. The act of grace, the river of grace flows north to south, not south to north. This is coming down from the Father to us. This is the great blessing that dominates this book. This is what you have received in Christ he starts with election, moves to redemption, and will move to future blessings. So as we look at this very particular aspect, the election established in the past, we look at the master's work. Let's look at it in verse three. This is, it says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's stop right there. Blessed. Eulogetas. It's, the, it's where you get the word, what? You can hear it. Eulogy. It's a declaration of a person's goodness, right? That's what a eulogy is in a sense. It's a praise. It's a commendation. It's when you speak well of a person. It's translated oftentimes in the Bible as blessed, right? Blessed. This is speaking of the goodness of God. And in the New Testament, when this word is used, it is only used to describe God every time in the New Testament, right? And Mark 14, 16, uh, 61, we see, again, the high priest asked him, are you Christ, the son of the blessed, right? Even the word there is used to, to designate 
uh, who he's talking about is designated as God. And the other words, this, this point here is that this is the good one who has done this. You can say, in other words, this is the good one, the, the praiseworthy one. That's God the Father. Right? Luke 1, 68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited and redeemed his people. Blessed. He, he's good. He's praiseworthy. It describes his, his goodness. Right? And really, listen, there's only one good one, only one praiseworthy one. This is what, uh, this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, how good is God? He's the good one. He's the, the only good one, the praiseworthy one. He's declaring his goodness here. That's just, this, is, this is what's being said, right? Romans 1.25 says that creation has exchanged the truth about God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed, who is good forever, right? 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. He's the blessed one, the, the good one. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.31 says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever. He's the good one. Remember the rich young ruler when he comes to Jesus? And Jesus says there's only one who is what? Good. There's a different word there. He's talking about moral sinfulness, uh, morality and sinlessness because the rich young ruler doesn't recognize his sinful condition. But the idea is the same. Only God is good and there's praise for him and him alone. Now listen, this is important for you and relevant because it's the duty of all his creatures to declare his goodness and to recognize this. That's the duty of all creatures. And this is seen, you can spend time there later in Romans 1, 18 through 21. That's the main text for this. And it describes the essence of all sin. Listen now, listen close. This is the essence of all sin that mankind sees as ultimate good and desirable and praiseworthy what is not good, right? That this is the essence of sin. And therefore, mankind loves and serves what is not good rather than serving the only one who is good and praiseworthy. That's idolatry. And, and so mankind's got a distorted view of goodness, right? We've got a distorted view of goodness. And really, this leads to this kind of main application that's in this text. Follow me. It's that much of our unhappiness in life as believers has everything to do with that we value what the world values. We see in terms of goodness what the world tells us is good. Position, recognition, possession, people, pleasure. And the main point of this section in Ephesians is that you would rightly see the good one who has done this great good to us and the goodness that you have truly received in Christ. In other words, Paul is helping you here to see rightly, see things rightly. You know, there's only one good one and you have received from him everything that's good. And so Paul, he's, what he's doing here is he's declaring God's goodness. He's declaring God's goodness because he's saying this is the master who is behind all of this great salvific work. This is the good one. 
This is the master behind the blessing, the first member of the Trinity. He is God and his relationship to Christ is father. He's the father. That's his position and role in the Trinity, right? That's who Christ refers to him as, right? And you know this great concept that God being the father wasn't normative in the Old Testament. That only becomes normal in the New Testament. That's a privilege. And so here's what he's saying here. Listen, the first point is that he's saying this God is blessed. Now you have to understand he's not, uh, when, when the Bible talks about God's blessedness or blessed be God, he's not, he's not, it's not saying you provide something for God that he doesn't have on his own. You, you say something about God that he needs to fill some kind of void in his life. It's a declaration of who he is. He is good, right? Now here specifically is the reason for why Paul can say this so definitively. And it's the fact that he has done this great work of salvation for believers. But I want you to see before we get to the work that's done in eternity past, look at this wordplay here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first member of the Trinity, the Father, who is really accentuated here in this work of election. But look at this. Who has what? Blessed. That's that same word again. Us in Christ with every spiritual what? Blessing in the heavenly places. The point here of what Paul is saying, listen, this same word of goodness is used in adjective, adjective form, verb form, and then noun form. Meaning this, this, describe, this goodness describes God. This goodness describes the action on which he has done this work for believers. And this goodness is now what we have. I mean, this couldn't be more clear. Paul is saying here, God is good because he has done something good to believers and now you have everything good. <laughs> That's the point. That, that's what Paul is wanting you to see in all of this regarding salvation. He has given everything good. Do you know how blessed you are in Christ? Do you realize it? And look at it. As we move on here, he says, who has blessed who? Us. This means that this blessing isn't true for everyone. Who's us? Well, he already said it. Back up to verse one. It's the saints. And Paul himself. He's writing to the saints. And now he's including himself. How good is this God who has done this great goodness to us? Now we have everything good. Who, Paul? Us. Himself and all the saints. This is the, tr the truth that, is, that it applies to believers. Those who are, it says, in Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. This blessing only comes through union with Christ. Listen, this is dense, but stay with me. This is packed in, but each one of these aspects is so important. This only is true for you in Christ. It's not because you're great. It's not because you prove something to God. This union with Christ, that's positional. That's positional. And really, that's the theme of this book. Remember what I said? This book of Ephesians, the theme is how we are blessed in who? Christ. 
This is all its blessings have come because of your union with Christ. This is the result of your union with Christ, of being incorporated in, uh, in it with him. Listen, you're unified with him. How? His death counts for you. His resurrection counts for you. His life counts for you. His righteousness is given to you. Your sin is put on him. His spirit dwells in you. You have new life in him. God sees you before himself. He sees you. When he sees you, he sees Christ on your behalf. You've been reconciled to God. This union is permanent. It can't be broken. You are partakers in the person and work of Christ. This super abundant blessing that we're talking about only applies to believers. Only applies to believers. Now look at this. Here's the the noun form of it. Who has blessed us in Christ with every, what? Spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Now, what is this focusing on here? Let's take each one of these aspects, the spiritual blessing. Listen now, that means there's more than just the physical earthly blessing that you have received, right? This speaks of the source, right? The source. If you talk about your spiritual blessing, let's, let's divide it into two categories. You can really say your repositioning and then your resources, Right, The spiritual blessings that you have received in Christ is your repositioning before God and your resources that you have received from God. That's the spiritual blessing in essence. You have now been given right standing with God and you have everything you need to know God, love God, follow God, and live in this world as one who has been saved by God. The heavenlies refers to the source and the sphere. This has come down from heaven and you live in a new realm, a new reality, one you were ignorant of before you were in Christ, right? The the Bible here in Ephesians 6 is going to talk about how you are now wrestling against what? Flesh and blood. You're wrestling against principalities of, of, of the air. It's going to talk about how your blessing is secured. Your inheritance is future. This is not just physical things on this earth that you have been given. The idea is the source of these blessings is heaven. It's for this new realm that you now live in, in knowing God, you've been repositioned and you have these now great resources. That's the idea here. This resources you've been given are to help you grow in godliness, to fight against spiritual forces, to to help you become more Christ-like. Listen now, he's given you his word. His spirit dwells within you. You have access to God. You have an inheritance. You have a relationship with him. You have his righteousness. You have his mind. You've been given every resource because of this repositioning. And then in the heavenlies, listen, this blessing comes from heaven and it's established in heaven. If there was a, like a, uh, Let's just say there was a book of life in heaven. Your name was written in it, and there is. It's established in heaven. This is an eternal blessing that you've been given. And this word here, heavenly places, it's literally the heavenlies. It's, it's where your blessing comes from and where your blessing is established. Your new position your, your, is credited to you and sealed for you in the headquarters of heaven. Right? And this is more than temporal. This is eternal. And so you can simply say that everything that God has given you in Christ is 
established in heaven, for heaven, in the heavenly realm. He's repositioned you and he's given you every resource, which we're gonna talk about the resources as we go through this book. But this is the great picture. When Paul writes of this realm, he, he writes of, of you, you can get the idea. Look at it with me. Look at 1, 19 through 20. Because he uses this idea, scripture interprets scripture. What, what is he talking about in this heavenly realm? Let's see how he talks about it. Verses 19 through 21 of chapter one, look at it. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the, his right hand in the what? Heavenly places. So where, what you have been given comes from a realm where Christ rules. What, what about Ephesians 2, five through six? Look at this with me. And even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the what? Heavenly places. Your positioning has been established in heaven. What about Ephesians 3, uh, verse nine, verses 9 through 11? It says, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the what? Heavenly places. It's this place of, of more than just physical, temporal aspects. What about Ephesians 6, verse 12? He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the what? Heavenly. And so your blessing goes far beyond just this earthly temporal blessing. Makes the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel look disgusting. What you have been given is not natural. But listen now, to realize how blessed you are in Christ, you have to value what God values. You have to see it rightly. You've been given this great spiritual blessing. You have been repositioned. You have every resource. What you have been given, the source is heaven and it's secure in heaven. You have to see rightly to value that more than what you value here on earth. You have to train your mind to say, what I have is far greater than what I could attain here in this world, right? And so your privileges your practices, your righteousness, your riches, your resources, your power has all been given to you in Christ. You don't need any more. All you need to do is realize, understand, apply, and utilize everything that you've already been given. Do you understand that? The more that you understand the word of God, the more you utilize the Spirit's tools, the word of God, prayer, etc. And so this is a sphere in which angels participate. God's force of wisdom participates. You must enjoy this and acknowledge the outpouring of God's goodness on your life because of what he has given you in Christ. Now, here's what he points to first as the method of this great blessing. First, he points to the past. Let's look at it in verses four through 5a. Even as he what? chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through 
Jesus Christ. Now listen here. As he begins these three aspects of salvation, past, present, future, he begins with the past. He starts with this verse four in the ESV translated even as. And what that means is just as or because or or the way in which he's done this, right? And so this is the first aspect. The blessed God, the good God has blessed every believer with everything that's good, right? Good God done good to the believer who now has everything good. And the first way that 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 we see that or because this particular thing and what is it, it's his blessing of salvation that he established for you in the past. That's the first way that he's given the believer everything good. Now, that's why I told you in the beginning, this is not something that Paul's debating. And this is not something that he's keeping at arm's length. When we talk about election, most people either leave the church because of it, put their arm out and stiff arm it, don't like it. I mean, Paul here, there's nothing of the sort. He's saying, thank you, God, for the great blessing of choosing us believers before the foundation of the world. This is what he's saying, and there's no ambiguity here. Chose, I'm just walking through this. It means to select for one's own reasons and purposes. In other words, choose means choose here, right? And it means to pick out, to predetermine, to determine ahead of time, right? First Peter 1, 2 says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with his blood. Foreknowledge does not mean know ahead of time who would choose him. Foreknowledge means know ahead of time through whom he chooses, right? He, he knows ahead of time because of who he's chosen. Foreordained is the idea, planned, not saw, Right? not saw, planned. This is what the word means. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. For you are a holy people, holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest people. But it's because the Lord loves you. I mean, this should begin to level you. Isaiah 45, four, for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by name. I name you, though you do not know me. You didn't know God before he chose you. He could have just let you keep walking into oblivion. Jeremiah 1, five, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I pointed you a prophet to the nations. John 6, no one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. John 17, what I read earlier, but he gave this inheritance to the son. In salvation, he secured who the father chose. This is triumphant. This isn't that Christ died for an option. Christ died to secure God's people. This was a victorious mission that Christ accomplished. That, that exalts Christ all the more. 
He didn't die as an option so that you could, he, he could beg people to come. He died to secure the people that the father has chosen. The father has given him an inheritance. Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Because why? As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Romans 8, 29 through 30. This is the great inseparable process of salvation. This is called the effectual work, right? Listen, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Listen to this. Those whom he predestined, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he glorified. He followed through with the plan, which we'll see later on in this section. Second Timothy, you say, oh, how do I deal with this in terms of my evangelism? Which we can talk about a different time, but just for now, you hold both sides of the mystery, Right? The, the offer is offered to the world, but God has an elect whom he's going to save. That's what T Paul said, 2 Timothy 2. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And so listen, this is what God has done. He has chosen a people for his own possession, and this should be in your sights as the great blessing with which you have, for which you have received. Listen, now this is the same as the plan for Christ's sacrifice. If the, if the plan was to save believers, then the plan for creation, fall, redemption, consummation was also established in the past, right? And this is what Acts 2.23 alludes to. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was the plan to unite a people to himself in Christ through his redemptive work. Why? To the praise of his grace. This is the great picture here. Eklego, this is the chose. It's, a, it's incredible here because I want you to listen to this. It's the aorist tense, which means something that's done and completed in the past, but it's in the middle voice. If you're done something in the active voice, the subject is acting on the object. If something is done in the passive voice, the object receives all the action. If something is done in the middle voice, it's the subject acting on the object, and the subject also uh, is affected or receives benefit from the action on the object. And so God has done this great work for you in Christ, and he is also blessed by doing it. He's glorified through it. I mean, this is unbelievable, right? What's, what did he receive? He doesn't need anything, but what comes to him is praise. Specific praise, the praise of his grace. In his choosing, his executing, his establishing this great work of salvation for believers, you know what the world says, should say, you should say through this picture? <laughs> he is so gracious. That he would choose me and execute salvation on my behalf. It shouldn't make you want to debate. If, if you say, well, why me? That's the, a great question. There's no reason in yourself. The only answer is, he's gracious to you. This should speak to your worth. This should speak to your humility. This should speak to your confidence. You should have so much joy. Why do you walk around the world as if you are so mopey because you don't have, because people don't see you as, because you haven't climbed the ladder of this? I mean, do you realize what you've been given and who you are in Christ? How could you value the world's 
assessment. Well, how could you be so selfishly ambitious to, to advance your life so that you can gain some type of worth when you've been given everything in Christ? You have to see rightly. If you're not going to be happy until you're famous, until you're rich, until the world recognizes you. And I even see this in the Christian culture. So many young guys trying to climb the ladder to become something. They only feel good about themselves when the person who's up there recognizes them. And that's the same in the world. Listen, if that's where you're going to find your worth, you're going to live your life completely miserable forever. But if you renew your mind and see this rightly, that God, before you were even a, a blip on the radar, chose you for salvation and executed it, you don't need anything else. You already have it. That's why when Jesus looked to, Paul, uh, to, to Peter and said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. The only thing that you're doing now in your life is serving God because you love him. That's your only task. It's not to find some level of worth. It's not to accomplish anything. It's just because you love him. So feed a sheep, right? Serve him. You're not gaining anything more that you don't already have. You're just serving him because you love him. There's, that's, that's the purpose. And so let me just, I got to move through this quickly, but listen now, this idea is clear that this is done completely independent. Why? Because it's done before the foundation of the world. Who else was there? I mean, this was done completely independently. He was completely free. It was done for himself. Number one, primary purpose. The Bible's clear about that praise of his glorious grace, that we might enjoy who he is. You get your best good when you enjoy God for who he is. Secondly, for your benefit, right? This is what he's done. Listen, this should change the way you see the world. Second Timothy 1.9, he saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. This could not be more clear. This doctrine is not implicit in the Bible. It's explicit. And it's never hidden in the books of the Bible. It's always in the front. It's front loaded in every book that it's talked about. Paul is not saying, hey, look, let me teach this doctrine of election to those who can handle it. He's putting it in the showroom, in the window, so that everybody who walks by sees it. Right? That, that's the point here is you as a believer need to know that you've been chosen. The point here is to understand the believer's blessing. Blessing. You might say, well, how is man responsible? That's the question of Romans 8, 9, 10, right? You can go read Romans 9. But you also have to understand man's responsible. How that works is a mystery. We hold it together, but both are true. You have, man is responsible. He doesn't, the Bible says that God doesn't ever predestine anybody to hell. But you have to, uh, understand that man is responsible. In a sense, man has the curse of, uh, of sin upon his life from birth and because of his own choice. God doesn't have to save anybody, right? And it's his grace that he saves some. And so this should humble you. This should help you understand man's not free in the same way that people say man has free will as they think about it. Man is free, but he will consistently choose sin, which makes him guilty before God because of his nature. And so he is free, but he's captive, right? And God intervenes, regenerates the heart, and effectually saves those whom he has chosen. 
and leave the mystery, the rest of the mystery to God, right? That's the idea here, is that God has done this. He has chosen the believer. Look at this, chose us again, not everyone, saints. In him comes through the union of Christ. I'm looking at verse four, in case you're wondering where we are. This is clear. Before the foundation of the world. Again, the plan was the gospel before the world even existed. Revelation 13.8 talks about the fact that you as a believer, your name was written in the book of life, the lamb's book of life, the slain lamb's book of life before the world was ever created. Just sit with that thought for a minute. The lamb who was slain, his book of life, your name was written in it before the world was created. And it's not implicit, it's explicit. You can just see it, go and read it later. Your inheritance, your union with Christ was decided before the foundation of the world. The word here is cosmos, right? It's the universe. Before the universe was set in motion, God did it. This is independent of every human influence, every human merit. You're, you, you've been united with Christ eternally before time ever existed. Notice the corporate aspect here. He's not talking necessarily to the individual, but he's talking to the church. This really is God's plan for the church. You collectively believers, this is what you have received. Now I want you to see this. Here's the purpose here, right? That we should be. You see that in verse four, in the middle there, that we should be. Here's the purpose holy and blameless before him. This, talk, this is positional. That means that you should be set apart for God and stand before him as one who is righteous, accepted by him in fellowship with him, right? Un, unrighteous, declared righteous. Unworthy, declared worthy. Sinners, given salvation. This is Christ's imputed righteousness to the sinner. But this can't be separated from sanctification. He also did this so that his people would grow in Christ's likeness and godliness, right? Practical righteousness. The direction of your life, even though you're not gonna be perfect, part of the purpose of his electing you was to set you before him completely acceptable, holy, righteous, that you're fully accepted by God, righteous as you stand before him positionally, and that you would grow in your sanctification, that you'd be one who is moving in the direction of holiness and righteousness and blamelessness. This is why he chose you. Now, I think the next part of this in love is with verse five, okay? So, and we're gonna come back to that in the last point, the motive. But I just want you to see this last aspect of the method. He says this, look, in verse five, he pre, what? Destined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. This is not, this couldn't be any more clear. Paul's actually repeating himself to make sure you understand what he's talking about. Election is different than predestination in the sense that maybe election focuses a little bit more on the ones who are chosen, predestination really the result of the ones who are chosen, right? But, but Paul here is really saying the same thing. Prorizo is the verb, it's to mark out beforehand. It's to decide beforehand. And so maybe a slightly different focus, but Paul is really, he's just saying the same thing again. 
You have been predestined. For what? For adoption. Now, now we could take a whole week on just this doctrine. And maybe we'll come back and do it. But I just want to point out a few things. Adoption means that there was separation. Inherently, right? That's what adoption means. Which is what the Bible says. You're by nature children of what? Wrath. That we, John 8, you are of the father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. So this idea assumes separation. But this aspect here focuses on reconciliation and the relational aspect that comes with you being united to Christ. Not only the positional, but the relational. You have to understand what you've been given. You are positionally righteous and you are relationally reconciled with God. Do you understand, believer? Listen now. Don't let anything take your focus here. Listen. This aspect of adoption, it necessitates certain things and it includes certain concepts. We could spend a week on every one of them. The relation, this adoption, it means that God paid a price. It means there's a change in legal status. It means that there's a change in nature. It means that there's a change in authority. It means that there's a change in relationship, right? You could go through every passage in the Bible regarding adoption, God's adoption of, of, of people, and you could just pull out these subpoints of this doctrine. Go do that as a project. I'm gonna give you schoolwork. Right, you are to call God Abba, Father. That's literally, as people have said, what? Daddy. I mean, that's unheard of in the Old Testament, right? It means a change in inheritance. It means a change in resources. You have union, you're co-heirs with Christ. All God has is yours, right? All of this, it means a change in your domain from your old situation to now a new situation, Think about who you were in your sin and what you were destined for in your sin. And God has now changed this situation for you. I mean, this is unbelievable for what God has done for you and every believer through his work in Jesus Christ. You're so blessed in Christ. Evidenced by the fact that God has chosen you for this righteous position before him. And he is predestined to reconcile you to himself through the price that he paid, giving you everything that you have in need. Now, I want to move to this motive lastly, and we're going to close this. But the motive is just clear. It's really just the end of verse four. It says in what? Love, right? And then at the end of verse five, according to the purpose of his will, and then at the beginning of verse six, to the praise of his glorious grace. I mean, the, per the motives are just clear. The purposes are clear. Love, first. Divine blessing of standing before him. Resources. Fellowship with him. What's the purpose? Love. Why? Because he, he loves you. He loves you. I mean, you gotta believe that. He loves you. That's why he did it, right? 
Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. End of verse five, it says the purpose of his will. It's really pleasure. I don't know why ESV put it here. It's the pleasure of his will. It's what pleased him. Love, pleasure. That's the divine motive here. And then lastly, to the praise of his glorious grace at the end. What's this element here? It brings him praise. This is specific glory. It's to the praise of his glorious grace. Glory, listen, is when God's holy attributes are made visible. That's his glory. We see his glory, for instance, in creation. You say, I know something about God because it's made manifest in a way that I can see with my eyes. That's glory. Holiness is his intrinsic uh, characteristics. Glory is when those characteristics are made manifest and seen, right? So to the praise, so praise results from when you see glory, what aspect of God is being made visible? His grace. His grace is being made visible, is being glorified, resulting in his people's what? Praise. Enjoying God because of who he is, is the purpose of election. You get your greatest good and God gets all the glory. And so this is why he does it. This is why he does it. These are the motives and the purposes behind it. Now, as we close here, I just want to drill in this application for you. This is an incredible truth that you need to embrace. Do you know how blessed you are in Christ? Do you know the blessings that you have received? Do you know the resources, the relationship, the inheritance? Paul here is not debating this. This is not something that Calvin created or an association. This is Bible. This is chapter and verse. This is not something to reject. This is something to embrace. The spirit of this is praise for God's grace, his mercy, his kindness, his blessing, his favor that's been established in the past, affected in the present, and enjoyed in the future. This is biblically based, and you should see this as a great work of the Trinity on your behalf. The Father chose, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. This is counterintuitive to what the world values. Why? Because they want to be in charge. You have to reject that and renew your mind. And renew your mind. It's, a, it's slavery. It's a great work that God has done for a people who couldn't do it for themselves. You're part of that. You have to realize how blessed you are. Everyone who has ever or will ever be saved, this is the crown jewel of the church, this doctrine. A people chosen by God for his own possession before the foundation of the world. You have to understand this. And what should these practical implications be? You should be humbled, right? Because you didn't do anything to earn this. This should increase your confidence, your trust. You shouldn't see yourself as having any merit. This should be a celebration for you, for the grand riches that God has given you. 
and you should see your worth as already sure. It's undeniable. When you had no ability to affect this, God chose you. Even your past worth. Think about some of the hurts in your past, the embarrassing times in your past. Do you know in all those times you were chosen by God and God was working this calling in your life? Let that heal your past worth. You already had it. You have it now and you will always have it. Let that inform who you are. You don't have to go searching for it in this life. You are the, the, the most blessed person on the planet. Don't look for this in achievement, recognition, acceptance, and praise. That's slavery. It's slavery. I think even how this applies to the new sex culture of changing your gender. Do you know that that results in slavery? Think about this. Because now your identity is wrapped up in something that you have to serve for the rest of your life. Because it's determinative of your, of your worth. People will find anything that they can find to determine their worth. Instead, as believers, you have to realize you already have it. Based on what? Based on election. You don't have to put the filters on. You don't have to, on social media. You don't have to brag consistently. You don't have to put on the fake smiles. You can truly recognize this truth, renew your mind and understand who you are and what you have been given in Christ. If you try to find worth anywhere else, it's gonna result in guilt, fear. It's never gonna be cured and it's always gonna be suppressed. Listen, what has happened to you, what you have been given and who you are is defined here because of the election of your souls. Let's pray. Father, we come and ask that you would have your way in us. Allow this to come into our hearts for it to dwell richly and for us to live as your chosen people in Jesus' name, amen.